Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. From Luminary Media and Jigsaw Productions. A few small notes before we get into this episode. This is a conversation I had with Sam Harris, who you might know from the Making Sense with Sam Harris podcast. When we first started looking at the whole topic of lies and deception as a focus of this series, we knew one thing. We needed to talk to Sam. His book, Lying, is an ethics primer on the topic. What strikes me in listening back on my conversation with Sam is the distance we've traveled, not only as a nation, but really as a global community since the conversation started. When I spoke to him, it was shortly after the Mueller report had been released, and we talk a bit about the president and his relationship to lies and the truth. But today I'm recording this introductory memo to you from my home in New Jersey, which is at the moment part of the global epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak. The stakes have never been higher. This public health crisis is testing us in new ways. And public confidence in the government is so fractured. Here in America, one half of the country thinks our president is a compulsive liar, and the other half supports him no matter what and doesn't trust any facts or science reported in the mainstream media. And so, as you listen to this conversation with Sam Harris, let's ask, what are the stakes for all of us in a world where it becomes okay to lie. Hey, Sam. Alex. Hey, Alex. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm a big fan. Oh, thank you. Likewise. If you don't mind, uh, you know, I may... Um, I get lied to, um, you know, as, that's my occupation. Right. Um, so, <laughs> and I wouldn't really have a career if people didn't lie to me all the time. So I'd love to dig into what you did and what you wrote. But along the way, I may get into some of my characters and, and, and discuss some aspects of them, if, if that's okay with you. Sure, sure. All right. Sam, tell me, how did you get interested in writing a book about lying? Uh, well, th this was actually the single case of a college course r totally changing my life. I, mean, I, I can date the the philosophical insight uh, to you know some some weeks into this course I took as a freshman at Stanford, and it's a course that many people have taken. This is a it was a quite a, a well regarded professor there who 
um, has now retired, I believe, uh, Ronald Howard. Um, and he was in the engineering economic systems department. I think that the, the name of that department since changed to operations research, but he, um, he, he just taught these, these courses on ethics in addition to his other topics. I mean, he was, he was a pioneer in decision analysis. So the, the kind of the rational, um, expected utility, uh, uh, analysis of, of decision-making, uh, but he would teach these courses on ethics, and this one was just about lying. And it was, it was really organized around this this single question: Is it ever ethical to lie? And people would would come. I think it was a graduate seminar, and people would would just get pushed in the the front door with their normal, uh, inchoate intuitions about lying, which is, of course, is generally wrong. You, it's good not to do it, but of course, there are other circumstances where you need to lie. You know, you're not crazy. There are white lies and there are face-saving lies. And, and of course, lying is something people do. But I don't remember what I thought about lying, frankly, before I took the course. I mean, I knew I, I, I didn't have a policy against it. So I'm sure I, I lied kind of the normal amount. But uh, the conversation week after week was just more or less, you know, people spitballing, you know, coming up with, with situations where they thought it was ethical to lie and then having, uh, it shot down, you know, by the group, you know, mostly by professor Howard in the beginning. And, you know, I, I think to, to a man and woman, you know, people came out of this course convinced that lying was just, uh, an enormous, social and ethical problem. And it's like, it's like the experience I had was, you know, just suddenly that the scales fell from my eyes and I looked around me, you know, at the, at the lives of friends and family members. And I looked at, you know, the lives advertised to me in, in fiction and in journalism and just saw that basically a willingness to lie was the, the, the crucial character flaw that led to so much derangement in people's relationships, in their business dealings, in their, in their, you know, the erosion of their reputations. I mean, you just look at, you know, you look at anyone who's famous, who got caught lying, you know, you know, Lance Armstrong and Tiger Woods and I mean, you know, John Edwards. And I mean, I mean, there's so many cases where it's just the lie is the, is the thing that, 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 you know, pulled the brakes on, you know, everything of value in their life. Uh, and the flip side of that is, you know, we, we're currently in a political moment where, you know, we, we, you know, the, the, I would say the, the greatest problem we have with the current president of the United States is that he has managed to create a, a personality cult around him, wherein lying is, is not a bug, it's a feature. Right. Uh, and that is that's what's so toxic about our politics at the moment. That seems actually to be a feature of many authoritarian leaders around the world. It seems like a strategy mm -hmm. almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you systematically devalue a fact based discussion. You, you put, you know, you, you you attack institutions like the press and uh, and then people people declare a kind of epistemological bankruptcy. I mean, they just don't know what's true anymore. They don't know how to calibrate their outrage. You know, each thing is, is more flagrantly in denial of, 
reality than the last and you just you basically just throw up your hands and and you know sit out political discussion well you know the ethics of it it seems to me are clear and I, you know i read the book and 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 there's a lot of discussion about come on let's talk about the white lies and when is it okay to lie like you're 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 talking to somebody who's on their deathbed um and uh, the question maybe from a wife to a husband is, did you ever cheat on me? And if you did cheat on mm. that person once, do you say with a week left to live, yes, honey, I did, and it's with so-and-so, um, or do you not? Um, I mean, as long as we're there, I, I was about to go beyond it, but as long as we're there, what do you say about a situation like that where you're trying to lie, in effect, for a, for a moment of kindness, I mean, that, that is the the hardest kind of case, right? You know, the person has a day to live, say, and, uh, you know, what what possible good is there in correcting the record? Uh, but, I mean, you have to picture what has happened before this. I mean, there's just, there's, um, you know, I mean, how, how energetically did the person have to maintain a deception all those years? And you have to acknowledge the missed opportunity now to, you know, achieve a, a, a deeper uh, bond of forgiveness with this person. I mean, what what would actually be the effect of telling the truth, and what what is the is there a deeper truth to tell? I and mean, so so much of this is is finding the the deeper truth that that recognizes the fact that you are actually on the same team with the person you would otherwise be tempted to lie to. You know, I mean, the the temptation to lie is is always a a failure of relationship. It's, mm-hmm. it's to, you, no matter how close you are with this person, you're, you're thrust into a circumstance where you feel that your own happiness depends on them not understanding what you actually believe or what you, what you actually did. And uh, you're, so you're, they are, you know, uh, they are other in a, in a very stark sense. They're no longer really your collaborator. You don't have a common project in that moment. You you have to uh, figure out how to misalign their sense of reality with what you know to be true, and so it's 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 it really is a it is a failure of of uh, experiencing your relationship as a as a common project in those moments, and then that then you inherit the the effects of ha- you, you inherit the effects of having lied. Uh, uh, for every moment thereafter, I mean, you have to keep track of your lies. You have to remember what you said in that circumstance. Uh, whereas, if you just tell the truth, you know, the world is your memory, right? Reality is your memory. The the documents in in your files are your memory. I mean, so there's just there's a record in in the minds of others, as well. So there's no there's no algebra to do to keep track of the truth, but there's a lot uh, to do to keep track of your lies, especially when you're telling one thing to one person and one thing to another. But in the in this hardest case where you you're talking about someone on their deathbed and um, you know you have a massive secret, um, well, I mean that you know again I, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that in every case the truth is better there because I, I could imagine cases where it, where it isn't or at least it would just you know you could expect that it would cause you know a kind of a terminal experience of misery um, to, to no good end, but you know that is always a symptom of having you know engineered that circumstance by lying 
when everyone had uh, you know many years yet to live and to to converge and so it's it's an, you know it's it's not optimal for reasons of of you know how you got there um but you know I, the, the temptation to lie in circumstances like that is is paternalistic you know you're, you're you've made a judgment that this person can't handle the truth this person is not grown up enough not you know, uh, not entitled to really shoulder the burden of their life. Uh, so you're protecting them from the truth. I mean, in, if you have this sort of altruistic motive, they'll, they'll, they'll be too destabilized by what is in fact true. And that is, you know, where that's the case, one has to ask, why is it the case? You know, like, what are you doing with this person? Or, you know, is this person mentally ill? Or what have you, you know, how, how, how have you managed their expectations so badly? I mean, it's, you know, there's, there are cases where you can imagine lying to children and that's like, but again, that's, that's purely paternalistic. And the truth is I, you know, I have two daughters and I, I've never, I, I can count on one finger the number of times where I've lied, uh, to them. Uh, and it was, it was sort of by accident, right? So, I mean, you don't need, the, the need to lie to children is, is, is exaggerated. I mean, you, there's always some version, some appropriate truth that can be told that can, that can, uh, conserve their, their interests and, and your responsibility toward them. Yeah. You know, you, you raise something with, with the whole notion of paternalism, you raise an interesting point, which is the whole idea, um, of the end justifies the means. That is to say, you're invested in some, as you see it, meaning one, as one sees it, you know, a, a, a noble cause, the police call it noble cause corruption. Um, and so you decide it's it's for the best if I lie because I'm serving a, a, a greater good. Do you find – is that one of our key motivators in, in lying, both for the little lies, the little white lies, and the bigger ones? Well, as it, the white lies certainly fit that mold. I mean, you, you, you've told yourself a story that you are, you know, all things being equal, minimizing suffering. Um, you know, you're, 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 I mean, again, you also, you often stumble into it. You're, you're ambushed by some awkward situation. You know, the question that you didn't anticipate that reveals, you know, this, this truth that it would be, that you, you imagine would be painful to, to hear. And you find yourself lying or tempted to lie. And it, yeah, it is a story of, of altruism. But even in this, you know, clearest case, I mean, most tempting case, someone's on their deathbed and, you know, you're, you're, you've, you've cheated, you cheated on your wife 20 years ago and she's dying and she asks you if you've been faithful and you're, you're thinking, well, what possible good could come from telling her the truth at this moment? I mean, and, you know, again, you understand why it's tempting, but look at what, look at the possible opportunity you're missing. I mean, what, one thing that's true is that or possibly true is that she may have suspected this all the while and she really wants the truth right and she's and she may be capable of forgiving you in that moment and and your lie may be unconvincing right i mean you might just you know you might just go for the white lie uh, you know with her, you know you know on the afternoon of her last day on earth and it it doesn't play especially well, right? She knows you're lying, and that's 
her, you know, that frames her dying moment, right? It's, it's just that you don't, you've told yourself a story that, that the truth is, is totally inadmissible and, and, you know, given the right people, it might be, but given slightly different people, you know, forgiveness is possible and, you know, a real breakthrough to a deeper level of, of connection is possible because it, because the truth could be, you know, yes, I, I, I did cheat 20 years ago and it is in truth absolutely meaningless. It had, it has nothing to do with how much I love you now. Right. And there's that, I mean, the ground truth is the love you have to communicate now. So again, I'm not, it's, you know, this is the hardest possible situation for a reason, but it's, um, you know, the, the, the benefit of a white lie there is, is not at all straightforward to me. So I'm going to I'm going to veer off a little bit from the white lie to to, to bigger lies and and I'm going to get specific a, a little bit with a sure. with a subject I did a film about you mentioned him earlier Lance Armstrong in fact I called my film the Armstrong lie mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah I remember that and I and what's interesting to me about um, Armstrong and and this gets into some of what you write about in terms of the difference between deception and lying. Is that you know he was in a sport where a lot of people doped. Armstrong certainly wasn't the only person who doped, um, but I think that he came to believe that um, uh, that his survival as a as a cancer victim was somehow valuable to other people, or that's how he was rationalizing it. Okay, Um, and so that he would tell a much bigger version of the lie instead of just laying low and not saying anything. He would say, how dare you say that I, as a cancer survivor, would ever use performance enhancing drugs? And then he might go do a bag of blood. Mm -hmm. Um, How does one get to that place where where one lies on that scale? I mean, that's a particular circumstance, but I'm not talking about what one ought to have done. But but how does how does somebody go there? Well, you know, as you say, there there are many variables here that that he used to convince himself that it was justified. I mean, I'm sure he told himself the story that that everybody else is doing it or virtually everyone who who matters is doing it. And so, I mean, the irony here is that. You know, while his reputation as the world's greatest cyclist is, is more or less destroyed, the, the truth is he probably was the world's greatest cyclist because, you know, he was doping and all of his real competition was also doping. And he was the he was simply the, you know, the, he had just leveled the playing field and he was just the best, you know, doped up athlete, uh, you know, on a bike. Uh, but. You know, it's just so he, he. I'm sure he he had that as a mitigating factor. Um, his all the good work he could do with his reputation intact. You know, as a as a advocate for cancer research. Um, you know, that was probably something that you know he didn't want to put in jeopardy. Uh, but you know, there was also just the grandiosity of of being, you know, the superstar who didn't want to uh, lose all that he had gained. And he didn't, presumably he didn't see any path whereby he could come clean and, and, you know, maintain his, his, um, reputation. But, you know, it, it, you know, it crossed over into a degree of, you know, something like sociopathic, uh, you know, moral breach because he, you know, he was trying, he was essentially destroying the lives of people 
who were telling the truth. You know, he's just kind of suing people into oblivion with all of his resources. Uh, you know, anyone who would who would come forward and, and try to to break the spell of of the doping problem in in cycling, and um, you know that's where it became just so clearly unethical that you know he he really deserved everything that happened to him. Um, but you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's a, a pathological context, right? You hear you have a sport where the norm is to, is to lie about this fairly consequential thing. And, and you would to, regard, uh, you would regard the other cyclists as liars also. In other words, the people who don't say anything, but they're, they're, they're doping, but they don't say anything in, in some fundamental way, they're liars, not deceivers. Would you would you put it that way? Oh, yeah. Well, you, they they certainly have to lie in order to maintain that deception. I'm I'm sure there's, you know, I guess you know there's somebody who's who can sneak by and and just never get asked on some level. But yeah, you you can imagine it, it, it took enough effort to cheat that you know it would be it, it was dishonest and also just to see. The consequences of of Armstrong's line at that point, and to, and to be complicit in it, seems, you know, fairly corrupt. But you know, it was a it was, and you know, maybe still is a corrupt sport to an unusual degree. And uh, you know, so it's just it was something that needed to be talked about. You know, so someone of Armstrong's stature, you know, I think could have rebooted the system. He could have said, "Listen, you know, I I've been doping all this time." And here's why, right? Because everybody else is, and you know, it's it's just this is a ridiculous farce to to. I mean, either either we're all clean or we're all on the best drugs we can get, but um, you know, this is just the, 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 it makes no sense to pr pretend that something else is happening here. You know, I think he could probably have survived that. I mean, you know, he certainly it was certainly would have been better than what happened, right? Uh, but um, it's. You know, it's, it is hard to, to be the, the first person to to uh, tell the truth, even if the truth is an open secret in in many cases. Right. And sometimes there seems to be a need to um, sort of a broad zeitgeist like need to observe um, a, a belief system that may be at odds with the observable truth. That is to say, well, I, I want to enjoy this sport, so I'm going to pretend everybody isn't doping. Or I really love Lance Armstrong, and I'm a cancer survivor, and I want to believe there's there's hope for me, so I'm going to believe that he never doped. So you're getting into the realm of belief rather than verifiable fact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it becomes easy to not think of something as a lie or as dishonest or as cheating i mean the the boundaries are 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 blurry in many cases and it, certainly if everybody is doing something even though it's against the rules you you can easily convince yourself that well okay, you know there there are the explicit rules and then there's the way the sport is actually run uh, and i can imagine that the boundary there becomes you know hard to even notice at a certain point uh, but you know if you're if you're having to engage all these crazy machinations to, you know, get clean urine to be tested and all of that, I mean, that's, you know, clearly you're, you're, um, engaged in, in a fairly elaborate cover up of the truth. And, and, um, I mean, in normal life, it, this, this, you know, we all encounter some version of this. So it's like, you know, 
you know, people don't want to cheat on their taxes in a way that could get them in trouble, but people also want to spend the, the minimum amount they can, uh, you know, and so, you know, people will declare things that are sort of on the border of, you know, what could, could honestly be honestly be considered a business expense. And because they're not actually face to face with someone where they have to, you know, say, yes, this is for business and look into somebody's eyes and they're just, you know, they're just paying for it with one credit card versus another. And there's no, there's no person involved. It doesn't seem like a lie, right? So it's like, it's, it's easy, easy not to notice the boundary here. Um, but you know, if you were, if you're put in a different situation, you would, you'd be forced to recognize it if, if in fact you're being totally dishonest in any case. I mean, you had talked earlier about the, the problems that we're now having in a Trumpian um, period where we're not anchored by any sense of, of observable truth. And and I also think of uh, of institutions and our, our ability to trust or not trust institutions. That was another thing about the Armstrong case that struck me. In other words, the magnitude of his lie, how dare you say that I as a cancer survivor would never use performance-enhancing drugs, was directed at cancer survivors, and they needed to believe in that, or they felt they needed to. And when they discovered the lie, they felt deeply betrayed. So is, yeah. is lying yeah. about a, a breach of trust, is that one of the things that makes it so ethically damaging? Yeah, well, the, the people you're lying to almost never see the lie the way you do, right? I mean, you, I mean that's, that's not a surprise because you're, you're, you're only tempted to lie because you're not willing to really collaborate in a common project with the people you're talking to at that moment. So it's just, it's, it's the, the betrayal is really built into the structure of the, the, the communication because you, you know, you wouldn't be tempted to lie if you were taking the interests, if you were really taking the interests of the other person to heart. And this is why white lies are, are confusing because you, you, you really can, you manage to convince yourself that, you are taking the other person's interest to heart, and in some cases, you might be. I mean, this is this is where you know the, the dysfunction spreads. I mean, you, you might actually be in the presence of somebody who wants to be lied to in certain cases. Um, the beautiful lie. You, yeah, and 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 once you start telling the truth, you know, as just a point of principle, you you discover those people in the world. I mean, the, the people who ask you for for creative feedback on something they've been working on. But who actually just want want to be praised, and they don't actually want any creative feedback. Well, you you know you just those people approach you once, and then they never approach you again once you give them your, your honest notes, um, and that and that's fine because you you don't actually want to be reading those manuscripts and and dealing with those people creatively. Um, but yeah, it's in in general, the betrayal is built in because the person is asking you for the truth, right and you're giving them uh, a falsehood and uh, for for reasons that have very little to do with, if anything to do with them and everything to do with you know how you want them to think about you and and what they, what you want them to believe about what you're doing or what you're intending or what you've done in the past you know there's a there's a book you made me think about a book that i read recently by patrick keefe about northern ireland and he talks a lot about uh, Jerry Adams, both in terms of a very specific case and also in, in in a broader sense. It made me think too about 
this issue of lying. And and the issue here is this. At some point, Jerry Adams decided that he was going to pursue, you know, um, uh, compromise and, and, and seek peace. But he made a calculation um, that both for his followers and for uh, – but particularly for people who didn't like him, who were – you could think of as enemies or antagonists, that – if he said, yes, I was always a member of the IRA and yes, I participated in assassinations, um, you know, he never would have been able to broker the peace that he did. Is that a, a, an argument or a, a, a rationale that you, uh, that, that you think is valid? I often wondered about whether or not people needed to suspend their disbelief of, of, of Adams in order to be able to get to a peaceful moment uh, rather than continue to seek um, justice or, or 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 some kind of demand for um, him paying for for, for the crimes mm-hmm. of the past. Well, I'm not as familiar with, with the history there as I as I should be, so I can't really give you a, a, a full answer. I mean, I, clearly, there's a way to reboot from even uh, you know fairly heinous political violence. Uh, and and get to the same ground. I mean, we, you have truth and reconciliation commissions in in you know states that have totally collapsed. Um, and so I, I don't actually know what what was open to Adams to do there. But yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're pointing to the fact that lying is often essential to uh, to is is an essential step toward. Uh, covering, you know, far graver offenses, right? I mean, you know, everything we do that is in the, in the direction of getting lots of people killed is often enabled by lying and then, you know, covered up by lying. Uh, but I just think it, it, it's, that you're rarely in an optimal political circumstance when you're lying about the past, right? Because, because people know what happened or people discover what happened. Uh, and then you've got this this compounded, you know, ethical breach where, you know, you've ostensibly, you're trying to, to heal the past and, and do good things and get, you know, get tribes or societies to, to cooperate with one another. But, you know, you're lying about some tiny detail, like the Armenian genocide or something, right? You're just, you're, (laughs) it's, 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 uh, you know, it's unstable, uh, because people, remember and the world remembers you know people find archives of documents that attest to things that happened and have been lied about for generations so it's um I mean, the, the the thing about the truth is that once you're committed to telling it you you really almost can't make a mistake because any mistake i mean if, if it comes out wrong the first time you just keep talking Right. So, well, that, that's not actually what I meant, or that's that's not you know, that that sounded wrong. That, that, what I, what I really mean is, and you just tr- you you keep you you keep driving toward what is real. And I mean, e- even the very effort, however clumsy, becomes its own message. Right. I mean, you're not you're not hiding anything. Right. You're not you're you're just you're you're trying to, you know, if you see that the effect of the truth you're communicating is actually distorting what is the, truly there to be communicated well then you can you can you can correct for the effect you're having right um, and you know i mean even in fairly grave cases i mean when you know when people have done awful things 
but then you know, then have a a you know real ethical epiphany and apologize you know i mean there you know there are people who ha- have committed murders and rapes and you know come off of decades you know on in prison and have been reformed and have a, a story to tell about how appalling uh, they're, you know, how, how, how appalled they are by who they used to be. And if it's a credible story, I mean, if it, if it rings true, well then, you know, societies are, are capable of, of forgiveness, right? So it's, it's not that, you know, the, the truth can't be a path back from, from even a very dark, uh, past. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. How... What kind of impact on the liar does telling lies have? I mean, it is it is it how corrosive is it? And and then as a follow up to that, what do you think about people who have to lie for a living, i.e., the undercover cop yeah. or the spy? Yeah. Well, so on the first question, we, we know there's not a lot of research on this, but you know, the research I'm familiar with suggests that liars. Uh, you know, trust people less and have and and ha- are less gratified by their interactions with people. Uh, you know, and uh, especially in in context where they're lying, um, and that's not a, a huge surprise. I mean, this you know, it's you're talking about situations where there's very little trust, right? I mean, the the fact that they're lying is a symptom of the lack of trust. Uh, so you know, those are those are less rewarding relationships, almost by definition. Um, and yeah, is, I, at some point in the book, I talk about the case of people who have to lie to do their jobs and even in the service of, of aims that, that, um, you know, we, we might judge to be ethical, you know, so if, if, you know, I, I mean, I think we probably do need, um, spies and, you know, so espionage is probably a, a, a necessary tool in the toolkit. Um, so you just you imagine the life of a spy. Well, I'm sure it entails lying uh, almost all the time. Once you're you're out there in the field, uh, it's it's one of those cases where 
I just it's a, it's a job I'll acknowledge as a job that's that's almost certainly necessary and it's it's a job I'm very happy I don't have to do right I mean it's like it's it's just like um, you're talking about the the ethics of a kind of ethical emergency where you know you're on war footing on, on some level in in your job and um, it entails deceiving people but it's um, I just I don't think there's 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 much instruction to be taken from that into the rest of our lives. It's just I think most of us are you know should feel lucky we don't have to to interact with the rest of humanity that way. Um, you know I mean in the same way that you're lucky you know not to have to uh, you know work with you know toxic waste or or you know something else that you know you, you're you're glad someone is willing to do it, but it's you know there's no amount of money that could you know entice you to do it. Yeah, it, d- it does take a personal toll on these people. Uh, you know, from from the studies, some of the studies I've seen in terms of the cost, the the sort of psychic right. cost of having to lie day after day. Yeah, you know, I, I can imagine, and and uh, yeah, because and the line, you know, p- propagates back to, you know, the, their lives in their in in the civilian world as well. They can't they can't tell their friends and family what they're up to either. Um, so I mean, and and so and secrecy is its own thing. You know, it doesn't necessarily entail lying, but it it can also be toxic. You know, just the keeping of secrets. Um, but um, it's uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 happy not to be a spy. <laughs> um, I'd be it, a very bad spy. <laughs> I think I my wife tells me I would too, since I seemed incapable of lying to her. So um, there's one area, you know, let's talk a little bit about self-deception, which is a, something that fascinates me. But I want to talk about at least something that I perceive to be a, 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 a potential benefit of sort of mild self-deception. And mm-hmm. I think in, in, in two cases, I think of athletes who, you know, believe that they can win uh, or, or achieve something greater than they ever have before. And it, and it can at times, that trickery that they do mentally can lead them to um, to greater heights, and then the other thing is you know uh, is visionaries. I, I think of um, uh, you know I, I recently did a film about another liar, Elizabeth Holmes. But you mm-hmm. know in the film I compared yeah, that her. That was amazing. <laughs> in the film <laughs> I, I compared mean, that, her. That, that was something. I mean, just just yeah. Go ahead. Not to derail you on that, yeah. but I mean, it was it was very hard to even understand what I was seeing there. I mean, it's, I don't know if you felt this in making the film, but it's just. It's like I, you, 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 as you watch someone speak and you, you hear about what they've done, you, you form an image of, you know, what it would be like to be them and, you know, what their motives are. And, and you can kind of map their mind onto your own, or at least you get a sense that you can. But some of her behavior was so bizarre to me uh, I mean, that I just thought, I have no, it's like, I felt like I was looking at another species. I, I didn't, I had no idea what she thought she was up to in certain moments. So like just, what, like was, what moments do you give me an example? Well, it just, I mean, that, that one, the, the, the scene of her addressing the employees at Theranos and giving a pep talk, you know, this, this boosterish talk of, you know, all the success they're making to a group of people some significant percentage of whom absolutely knew she was lying, right? So it was just it's like the wrong audience, and yet the lie was so confident. Um, it just was 
it was bizarre to me. And 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 the the idea that she could be driving this thing so clearly off a cliff, and yet acting as though you know, the, the problem would be magically solved somehow, you know, the, like the, just the, the spending of money that was almost certainly going to evaporate. And I mean, it just, it, it seemed, I don't know, it just seemed like, it didn't seem like the ordinary uh, course of, of a, of a business fraud. It just, I mean, it was almost like, you know, I don't know. Well, uh, it, it was su- such a- suicide by cop or something. I mean, it, just, it was like, just, yeah, and, and you were the cop. I mean, it was just, it was just bizarre. It was bizarre. But it, it, what was intriguing to me, and considering the number of people that she fooled, um, particularly, you know, skilled investigative journalists, not John Carreyrou, who came in, you know, at a moment when he was tipped off that something was wrong, but people, all of whom kind of wanted to believe in the beautiful lie. She, she, she created a lie that was so compelling in its moment, you know, female entrepreneur in Silicon, yeah. male-dominated Silicon Valley, that everyone was so invested in it. And I think about that for the, you know, Lance and the cancer survivors or, or some of the business people who believed in Enron. Um, it, it was such a compelling lie and told by somebody with such a, an ability to deliver it without apology that, um, that they were all taken in. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was, it was amazing to watch. That was the thing about the Ariely experiment with the dice that I found so interesting is that when when people tell lies for a good cause, it's not only do they do it m- more often and more effectively, well, not only do they do it more often, but they do it more effectively. That is to say the lie detector can no longer detect the lie. Mm. And that led, and that leads me to this whole idea of, of self-deception. In other words, is there something in us, uh, you know? And you mentioned, I think, in your your book, Robert Trivers, who I, I I met many many years ago, who talks a lot about self-deception. Whether that's an evolved trait, in order to lie effectively, we have to deceive ourselves that actually we're telling the truth, even though we know consciously, perhaps, that we're telling a lie. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, uh, I accept that evolutionary analysis. I mean, it, it, it makes sense to me. I don't know how we could ever firmly establish it as a fact, but it, it, it certainly seems plausible that, you know, that, you know, lying clearly pays evolutionary dividends. I mean, we're, we're social primates who for hundreds of thousands of years have had to, uh, negotiate, uh, and, um, uh, you know, evade and dupe and and otherwise get around uh, hostile others, um, or you know at least others with whom our our interests aren't perfectly aligned. Uh, and lying, an ability to lie and and to to detect lies in others, is clearly a an advantage. And so there's kind of an arms race there. And if if you can supercharge your your lies by being taken in by your untruths while, while stating them right to some, to one degree or another. So there's no, there's no dissonance in your, in your, uh, you know, the way you, you represent what, what is so, you know, you become a better actor. Um, you know, that it's easy to see how that, that could have happened. Um, but it, I mean, self to true self-deception is a bit of a paradox. It's kind of a Freudian paradox because in order to deceive yourself about what's true, Part of you needs to know what's true and, and to consciously convince the other part of you uh, 
of of the antithesis right and i mean so i mean just you know, just imagine how this goes i mean you you part of you knows your spouse is cheating on you uh but you are are self-deceived about this so it, you've managed to convince some other part of you that uh, he or she is faithful um and so where that line is i mean that that really does you know create the picture of a kind of Freudian unconscious where there's, it was kind of put the, where the boundary between was conscious and unconscious is policed by some sensor who, who has access to all the data. Uh, and, and that's not, you know, I, I mean, I guess that's something like that's possible, but you know, it's more plausible that there's just that our minds are, are, are kind of ruled by committee most of the time and you know in different contexts we are are committed to you know for you know for patently emotional reasons often kind of emphasizing certain facts over other facts and and withdrawing our attention from from facts that make us uncomfortable uh, and so that the, the self-deception self-deception takes the form of of just emphasizing what we wish to be true, um, without ever, you know, without, a, without ever starkly coming into contact with, uh, what is really true and then, you know, falsifying it for ourselves. So it, 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 it has more the character of, you know, neglect of data or, you know, confirmation bias, uh, which, you know, most people are guilty of more or less all the time. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure what the, you know, what version of self-deception is really true of us, but I mean, you know, I'm sure there, there are, there are people who are, you know, remarkably split in their personalities and I'm sure you can get, um, you know, cases that seem to, to cry out for, you know, neurological explanation, uh, where the truth was, was totally available and then, then gets denied. I mean, there are, there are actually neurological cases that have, have somewhat the structure uh, the, the, the condition of anosognosia has this, uh, feature to it, which is, and anosognosia is, is the denial of, of, uh, paralysis that you get, uh, it mo- mostly shows up in women who have a, a right hemisphere stroke that where, where they're, they have hemiplegia on the, on the left side, they can't move their, their left arm, for instance. And, um, because there's there's damage not just to the frontal cortex but to the parietal cortex, uh, there's a, a neglect of this disability so that you have people who can't move their left arms but show no apparent awareness of their deficit. So if you ask them to do something that requires the use of both hands, they'll attempt it in a way that would require both hands to be working and they'll fail in ways that you know that they, they can't explain. I mean, one of the classic example is they'll, they'll, if you ask them to pick up a, a, a tray of drinks, you know, if, if they knew they only had one operable hand, they would put their hand up in the, in, 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 under the middle of the tray and balance it. But, you know, they go for it, you know, to, for, you know, left and right side. And because only the, the right hand is, is working, you know, they just upend the drinks and spill them on the, on the floor. Um, so they, they're not, they, they apparently are not aware of their deficit, but then, if you um, and I, I think it was the the neurologist uh, V.S. Ramachandran who first discovered this, uh, he's certainly the, the the one who wrote about it. Um, 
the um, you you find that if you if you shoot a a cold, a stream of cold water into their ear and um, uh, initiate a nystagmus, you know, it's kind of a, a brainstem reflex. Bizarrely, one of the things that happens, uh, uh, in addition to their their eyes moving back and forth, which is nystagmus, um, they suddenly become aware that their left arm is paralyzed. And so you, they'll say, well, you know, I can't move my arm. What's what's ha- what's happened? I, what's what's wrong with my arm? And then that the half life of that epiphany is like, uh, I don't know, 30 seconds or a minute. And then they are once again returned to being completely ignorant of their condition. So it's it's, it's totally bizarre. And, and it, it, it shows you that, the you know, the human mind can be pretty starkly partitioned. And so, it, you know, that that could give a a fairly. Um, impressive uh uh structure to to self-deception i'm just not i'm not sure what is true of most of us most of the time it seems i mean again not being a a scientist it's it seems like a um you know a a continuum along the line some people are more extreme than others you know i make movies about the extreme cases but you know you know that's why i brought up athletes or or even visionaries because i compared elizabeth holmes to edison you know he did lie to people, mm. and he certainly deceived himself because I'm not sure he knew he was ever going to get to the incandescent light bulb, but he did. Um, and if he hadn't overpromised, maybe he wouldn't have gotten there. And and is that some kind of self-deception? Same like with the athletes saying, you know, there's no way I, I can break the four-minute mile. I, you know, observably, it's just not possible. Or you say, no, I'm going right. to do it uh, uh, because I, I can't. Uh, yeah, I, on that on that point of encouragement and self encouragement, I, I think there are truths that are just as useful as the the self deceiving or or other deceiving lie. I mean, you know, it's just there's so many true things to say about a person or about a you know a situation which could give someone the confidence that that it's worth trying their best, right? Like you know, it's I mean. You know, any, you mean, take, you know, take a graduate student in physics who's just, who's just starting out, you know, and, and, and who, you know, it, it may not seem rational to think that, you know, he or she is going to make some uh, immense progress in their career. Um, you know, it's, it's super competitive. You know, so many things have already been found out, you know, f- physics is, is, you know, progress is slow. Um, but, you know, it's, there are true things to say here. I mean, it's like, you know, the reality is, is that, that, you know, any, any person who's, you know, any freshly minted PhD in physics now knows more about physics than Einstein did. Right. I mean, you know, and if, you know, sent back in a time machine, a hundred years would be the most knowledgeable physicist on earth. Right. Um, and you know, we, we don't, and, and we know we're terrible at predicting, the, you know, the pace of discovery and when new discoveries will happen. And, you know, every great breakthrough has been preceded by some numbskull, you know, 48 hours earlier saying that we're never going to make progress on on this particular question. And then the progress is suddenly made. So there, there are reasons to be very hopeful in a condition of stark uncertainty um, that are compatible with, with the truth. You don't actually have to lie to yourself. I'm going to turn to politics for just a second. In your book, you explain the illusory truth effect, uh, which comes and um, right. 
How does that describe what that is, if you would, and and how that relates to our present political moment? Well, unfortunately, it becomes very difficult to correct uh, misinformation and lies, you know, to to correct the the record journalistically or or historically, because we have this this glitch, which is <clears throat> which has been named the illusory truth effect, which is. To, to merely hear about a, a proposition, uh, even in the context of hearing that it is false, uh, is to bias your memory in favor of recalling it as true, right? So, I mean, I recently had this, you know, so it was probably, you know, some version of this explains what happened to me. I, I was thinking about... Um, Actually, I think I, I had the uh, the journalist uh, Lawrence Wright, uh, who I'm sure you know well. I do very well. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, um, uh, you have that great documentary with him, Going Clear, um, <clears throat> and um, I had him on the podcast, and I, I recognized that he had written a book. He had written a, lo- a long New Yorker piece, and then a, a, a short book based on it about, um, you know, a, del- a delusion, some delusions around the the, the satanic cult panic. Um, that happened uh, a few decades ago, and we were talking about how that whole thing got kindled, and I realized that my memory of the McMartin preschool, you know, satanic panic, the child abuse uh, uh, story, where that that sent you know, the McMartin teachers, several of them, to jail. Uh, my memory of of that was that it, you know, the allegations were true, and that you know, actual child molesters had been sent to jail. And so when I when I looked it up, I, I saw that, that you know the the opposite was the case, um, and I'm sure that 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 I had noticed that story get debunked, you know, more or less in real time, you know, many years ago. But the debunking did nothing to the the, the fact that it was debunked didn't stick in my memory. It was just the the debunking just made the the salient de, the, you know false charges. Uh, uh, more indelible, and I just remembered it as this you know, this heinous case of a a preschool you know abusing children, um, and that's what happens to to so many of us. I mean, that's this has now been studied, and uh, so just just to reiterate a falsehood in the service of debunking it will will be scored by you know many people as just you know a, a reminder that this this false thing was true. Uh, and so we, we have a real problem. This is a kind of asymmetric, you know, cognitive warfare here where if you spread enough falsehoods around, you, you win just because, you know, in, in merely, you know, understanding what you're proposing, people accept these things as true. Uh, and this is, this this persists even when the conversation is uh, is purposed toward debunking them as falsehoods. And so, uh, you know, um, a, a president saying Mexicans are rapists has a kind of reverberation way beyond the the rational belief or the the rational understanding that that is that is <laughs> that all Mexicans are most certainly not rapists. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I would, I would. I would think that's probably not the best example or, or the most consequential example of this kind of thing because that that already has you know that's that's so laden with with topspin and and you know prejudice 
But, you know, I mean, just, you know, stark factual claims like, you know, just, you know, I mean, this, this is coming up for us pretty soon. I don't know when you're going to release this podcast, but, you know, we're still uh, in the process of of uh, dealing with the Mueller report and, and Mueller's about to testify. Yep. You know, who knows to what end? But, you know, d- the fact that, you know, people can reiterate that, you know, the Mueller report found no collusion, right? There was no collusion. There was no obstruction. You know, the the, the, the Mueller report was completely exonerating of the president. Um, you know, the fact that that, that can get repeated, uh, you know, that that that, that sticks and, and, and will stick for, you know, certainly, um, you know, certainly most people who want that to be so will will find no reason to ever revisit it. Uh, and it'll you know, it'll stick for many people who who actually uh, were hoping the truth would be otherwise. But um, and did you know, may have even, you know, found it to be otherwise. But 10 years from now, you know, what will what will be the, the sense of what the Mueller report contained it, it might be for most people that you know there was it was totally exonerated yeah it was interesting i was talking not too long ago with yokai benkler from harvard and who had done this study of media in the um in the 2016 election and uh he he looked in particular at this kind of feedback loop uh with fox news and breitbart where and he chronicled how many actual observable falsehoods were contained you know whether it be Obama was a Muslim or the um, you know more people showed up for the Trump inauguration than anyone in history, um, but they uh, or the um, Seth Rich case, um, but but they uh, they they have a reverberation that seems undoable or un you 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 can't. The, the the appeal is so strong that despite everybody knowing observably that these things aren't true, people seem to inhabit them anyway. Yeah, yeah. And also there's just the, the sheer velocity of lying in certain cases. I mean, in Trump's case, that's so difficult to correct for because when, when you know, you set a hundred small fires in a matter of moments, you know, it just it just takes too much effort to put them all out, right? So you got you have to triage the lies that you address, and um, it just it's uh, it, again it's it's a kind of asymmetric warfare where um, you're just you're 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 outgunned because you know the the um, uh, there's a different physics to you know the, the the physics of making a mess and the physics of cleaning it up are 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 quite different. You know, it just it's you know the disorder is on the side of the mess maker. But I mean, in terms of lying, does it does it speak to the idea that we and thus the p- political utility of it, the the fact that we are susceptible to lies that that is that that politicians lie so frequently. Uh, and with such velocity, because we're so susceptible to those lies. Yeah, it just it takes more effort to uh, the and the effort and an effort that most people can't expend to figure out what's true or and to correct for the the deception. And there's also there's another species of dishonesty here, which which um, the philosopher Harry Frankfurt uh, aptly named bullshitting. Uh, which is, um, you know, he he actually gave it a technical definition in his in his short book on bullshit, 
Uh, and it's interesting because it, and this is something that I think Trump is is even guiltier of than lying. I mean, most of the time he's he's not even making the effort to lie. He's certainly not making a credible effort to lie. He's just bullshitting. And the difference is, you know, with a liar, you know, he or she is is inserting a lie into a space where the truth should be, right? And he's taking, you know, some pains to make sure that this this fake puzzle piece actually fits into the space provided because he doesn't want his lies detected, right? I mean, there's, there's a, you know, a, a penalty to be paid for being a liar in most, you know, circumstances. And so the, the liar is monitoring what reality is. Uh, he's sort of reality testing his own utterances to make sure that they, they track with, with what, you know, is, is a matter of common sense or, or common knowledge, you know, with the people he's talking to. And he's aware of the logical uh, criteria by which people would judge his statements to be true. Uh, and so he's he's making, he's got a lot of cognitive overhead to keep this, this game working. The bullshitter isn't paying attention to any of that. The, bull, the bullshitter is just talking. The bullshitter is just saying what he wants uh, others to believe without any uh, awareness uh, or, or regard for, uh, you know, what he said 10 minutes ago even or what, you know, what logical expectations his audience could be forming on the basis of other, you know, facts that are in plain view. So he's just just talking. And um, that's uh, that's something. Excuse me. I just got to silence my vibrating phone here. Um, and, um, and that's something that I see Trump do more or less with every utterance. I mean, he's just, he will, he will contradict himself. I mean, these are not calculated lies because they, they don't serve his interests at all. I mean, he'll contradict something he said two minutes ago. Uh, and, and, you know, the, you know, rarely are these contradictions even pointed out, but you know, it's not. This is not best thought of as a lie. This is just somebody who is, who's um, trying to create a mood, uh, and he's, you know, just is say very narrowly focused in a, in a non-strategic way on, you know, kind of this bloviating uh, PR campaign. Um, which is, you know, self-serving. I mean, the, the the only the only variable that's operative is that it is, you know, serving his interests, at least in his in his own mind, um, in that moment. You know, creating the effect that you know that he wants. But he just ha- he he apparently feels no burden to be coherent. You know, st- say nothing about what you know what's going on in the real world or or you know what people know to be true. From other sources, he's he's not even coherent with himself. No, clearly not. But he he does seem to have an antenna for um for for the mood of 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 his base, shall we say, in terms well, of well, the, delivering yeah, uh, in the moment what it is that they want to hear. Well, the, and this is this is what's so destabilizing about what he's achieved with his base, because what he what he's created is a an audience for whom. His line, I mean, his line is not a, a bug; it's a feature, and it's just this kind of naked uh, exercise of power. I mean, basically, he's to to his his detractors, he's saying, uh, 
you can just go fuck yourself. I'm, I'm going to say whatever I want and you can't stop me. Uh, and to his fans, he's saying, you know, watch me drive all these people crazy. You know, watch me own the libtards, right? I'm going to just say whatever I want and they're going to tear their hair out and you're going to love it. And, and on some level, his line for his base, his line gets scored, you know, perversely as a deeper level of authenticity, right? Like he's saying the system is broken. Right. I'm a wrecking ball. Right. Watch me swing through this space and just clear out all the, you know, the rubble. And, and, you know, his line is part of that. Right. Yes. And sadly, he's also found, or sadly, even those truth-telling, um, or allegedly truth-telling uh, networks who would be chronicling him and, and attempting to um, debunk his lies have become so addicted via the profit motive to the spectacle of this all that they simply amplify it over and over and over again, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just what, what the news cycle has become is is completely insane where you can't, you can't even... There's an entertainment quality yeah. to the lies now or the bullshitting that has become so palpable and so money-making that people can't resist. Yeah, and, and he's he's going to commit an atrocity, uh, you know, within a few short hours so that the, the, the one you have in hand can't even be fully processed and then you're on to the next thing. So, I mean, the, 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 the kind of the optical illusion that is created here is, is something that I've, I've talked about it um, in this way, I mean, I think that if he were one tenth as bad as a, as a person and as a liar, he would seem worse, right? It's like we can't even focus on you know each next travesty uh, because the, you know the the next one just drives it out of memory, you know, within twenty four hours. And I mean, the the point of comparison that that uh, many of us have have referenced it. I mean, just remember what a scandal it was or, you know, and it dominated a whole news cycle when Obama wore a tan suit. Right. I mean, just like, like we, <laughs> we, we, we once lived in a world where, you know, you could, you could notice such a thing and care about it uh, on CNN. Um, and now it's just, you know, a, a you know, a, a, por a porn star can come out of the woodwork and say, he paid me for my silence, you know, five minutes before the, the, the election. Uh, and you know that that can't get any traction because you know something else is going to come out uh, a day later. It is astounding. Um, what's the most harmful lie you've ever been told? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Uh... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You know, I, I haven't been the victim, really, of any consequential lies that I can think of at the moment. I mean, for the, you know, I, I've been very lucky in just being able to to have, uh, you know, good people in my life who, who share my value of, of, of honesty. So, I mean, this is, you know, I've been since the age of 18, you know, li- living the way that I've described to you in this interview. So it's, you know, I basically, you know, curated the people in my life, um, with, with honesty being one of the most significant variables. Um, I mean, there's just sort of, you know, there's, so any, any lie I can think of is, um, more or less just kind of rises to the level of social awkwardness, you know, where somebody, you know, where it's, it's, it's revealed what they would say behind my back, right? Like they send me an email by accident, right? The email wasn't intended for me. It was intended for somebody and it was about me. And so I, I can see the mismatch between, you know, what I know they would say to my face and, you know, what they say behind my back. And that's, that's an example of, it's not really lying, but this is another example, which, you know, and this is the kind of thing I've been guilty of. I've, I've actually sent an email, you know, on more than one occasion, I've sent an email to an unintended recipient about that recipient. And it's such a beautiful moment because if there's any significant mismatch between what you say behind this person's back and what you say to their face, yeah, I mean, this, this dissects that out in a, in a, a wonderful way. And, um, and, you know, when you're committed to being honest, this is, this is one of the, the rubrics under which you can, you can, you can see just how much, how much. Uh, terrain you may have to cover. Uh, you know, I aspire to talk about someone in a way that I'd be comfortable talking uh, talking about them, you know, to their face, right? You know, so so that if the person, you know, when the when your friend gets up to go to the bathroom, you know, in a restaurant, and you're left with the other people at the table, you know, and you you start talking about them the conversation doesn't change when they make it back to the table, right? I mean, like, so you, you don't, because the mismatch there not only affects your relationship with the person, it, it communicates something else to everyone else at the table, right? I mean, so, so the, the, the people, you know, who you're dishing about them to in that moment know that there's, if there is a mismatch, they know that you're that sort of person who's saying things about them when they leave the table, right? Um, and so, you know, you, you sort of you you want your life to be of a piece. And you know, granted, there's it's it it's hard to get uh, it's hard for there to be absolutely no difference because I mean there there are things that are just naturally creep in. But um, you know, I've I've you know I've happily I'm, I've got my my um, my gossip dials you know you know tuned correctly enough here so that the the few times where I've I've managed to to do this where the the, the formula for me is to when when someone asks for somebody's email address 
and I don't have it, I, I often kind of populate their email address up into the up into the you know the send line, um, and then I've forgotten to take it out, right? And so, um, and so I still wind up sending it to both people. So this is, this is a very bad practice. There's got to be a better way to get email addresses. Uh, but you know, in in the cases where I've done this recently. You know, there's been no, I mean, I, I talk about them in a way that obviously they weren't meant to hear, but it's, you know, it's of a piece with, with how I, I talk to them directly as, you know, I mean, it, it, so there's no, there's no real ethical distance and, you know, it's, it's just clear you're like now, now, you know, I mean, the, the follow-up email is, you know, now, you know how I talk about you behind your back. Uh, and there's no problem because my relationship, I, I make a, a real effort to be straight you know, with people and to, and to, and to realize the downside of, of, you know, speaking one way to their face and one way behind their back. And, and, but, you know, that's a, that, that takes a lot of work, but your, I mean, your relationships are so much better if you can live this way and people recognize in you that you're the, I mean, there's a, like a level, you, you become a kind of refuge for people because you're not going to bullshit them and you're, and you're not going to betray them. You know, and 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 once you actually start living this way, you you you, rec- you you recognize how few people do, right? And then you just see the chaos of, of kind of mi- mislived lives all around you, right? I mean, that, that you know, from Lance Armstrong on down, you just see this, you know, like behavior uh, which is so tortured. You know, people are just spending all of this; they're just engaged in this kind of Shakespearean effort to. Uh, derange their lives and the lives of others by by what they say, uh, you know, uh, in public and behind closed doors and in you know texts and threads and you just, all of the infidelities and the frauds and um, it's just it's just mayhem and it's completely unnecessary. So yeah. it's um, yeah, I, I recommend it. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because it, it's something that over time I had to learn. In, in filmmaking, it, it was an exercise we would uh, I learned to do in the cutting room where particularly for films that are critical about people, you have to imagine I, ha- I had to learn to imagine having a seat in the editing room for the subject and 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 mm. and showing that film to that person while I was watching it and they were watching it at the same time and could I defend everything that I was saying in the doc and the way it was presented to that person in that right. moment and it's a it was a it was a useful exercise um, and 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 oddly I found that that sometimes people uh, in in viewing my films took umbrage at it in the sense that. Um, they often want um, the films to be more critical. That is to say, let them have it with both barrels and don't give them any credit or 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 try to understand things from their perspective, which which I I, I find odd but interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, that's a very interesting case where. Um, your work is is quite similar. I mean, in, in certain cases, identical to the work of a a journalist, where uh, your interests are not always aligned with the the interests of your subject. I mean, I can imagine that people get interviewed by you for a documentary, thinking one thing about the the, the angle you're taking, and yet your angle is in fact different. 
Um, and I mean, did you read the book by um, Janet Malcolm, yeah, the journalist? Yeah, it's and the funny. I was just about to come to that because I, I read, you know, the discussion of that in your book, I think, and and I, I I wanted to ask you a question about that. But go where you were going, and then I'll ask my question. Yeah, and I don't even remember referencing her in in my book line. I perhaps I did. But I think maybe the question yeah. and answer part. I think not. Yeah, not yeah, not in the book, but yeah. but in the in the follow ups. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, I, I thought her book was was quite amazing for for how it teased out the you know how at odds the 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 agenda of a of a subject of journalism and a and a journalist uh, uh, could be and um, and how uh, difficult that is to see as the subject of an interview. It's like you, 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 people just you know more or less sit down and confess. Uh, and, uh, you know, often, you know, this, the, you know, I've, uh, the, the place where this can really be you know, where the, where what your, your account as a, as the subject of journalism and the final product can be totally at odds is in, is in print journalism. I mean, cause that, cause, cause a print journalist can, can summarize what you said in a way that's, that's, um, um, you know, totally false. Um, and, you know, at least in a, in a documentary or, or, you know, on, on the radio or in a podcast, you know, the, the excerpts of, of audio and video are in fact, you know, what they said, you know, what, what the subject said, um, you know, albeit the, the cuts can be to their disadvantage, but the, um, there is just this, um, there's a, there's a very strange thing that happens in an interview where people just start talking and they lose sight of the fact that, the 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 journalist has their own agenda, and that can it can really be. I mean, the 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 agenda can be you know quite adversarial. It can be to, you know to destroy you. And um, I mean, that was actually some. I, I was I once had an interview like that where I was. This was a print interview where, you know, I I, I felt like I was in the presence of a very friendly person who more or less agreed with me about most things and. You know, we we're kind of going into some controversial areas, and it wasn't until, you know, the, I mean, something like two hours in. I mean, it was it was it was amazing how long it took. Um, but then the, there was a moment where the kind of the mask slipped, and I realized, oh, this is actually a a, a just an utter gotcha interview, right? This is just this person is just going to try to destroy me, right? And um, you know, it was interesting to discover. I mean, I had I had read. Uh, uh, Malcolm's book, but you know, discovered that I was you know just as easy a mark as as anybody. Well, I always thought that Ma- Janet Malcolm kind of overdid it a bit. That uh, you know, in in that kind of masochism, which mm, I, I think is kind of an extreme version of of, of how it works. I don't think mm-hmm. um, you know it's always it's always raised for journalism. As uh, as the example of just how ruthless journalists are, I think most journalists too, you know, um, aren't that consciously cruel. But what is interesting uh, about that is, you know, and I reflect about this a lot. If you talk to somebody in advance of an interview, and you just and you were to say to them over and over again, warning, you know. I am a journalist or a filmmaker. I have my own agenda, and I will say what I want to say, and I will. Um, uh, and and I'm not serving you at all. I'm not. Uh, I'm serving the viewer or the intro. You know the the audience. Mm. That's 
And now, if you <laughs> if you if you start all of your um, inquiries that way, you know, a lot of people don't come to the table, um, and right. and so there is um, an element of trying to find some kind of common ground. And uh, but that's uh, that I think the ethical question that she gets right, and um, it's you know it's it's uh, is is how far are you willing to go, and 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 how far should mm. you be obligated to go? Should you you could say that you never lie, but should you tell them everything about what it is that you want to ask or or, or think about that person? Because if you do, maybe they don't ever sit down. What do you think? Well, yeah. Well, so what I do, I mean, I, you know, I have a a very similar situation I've created for myself, you know, on my podcast, I'm, I'm usually interviewing somebody and, and sometimes it's somebody who I, who I really disagree with and it has the character of a debate. Um, and you know, I always say up front that, you know, I have, I have no interest in doing a gotcha interview, you know, however much we disagree, I want the best version of your views and, and so, if, so if at any point in this interview you put your foot in your mouth, or I put my foot in there, you know, and you want to retake something or edit something, you'd say that you know this thing we just talked about for the last five minutes. I'd really like to cut that because I think I, you know, it's just not going to come off well. You know, I'll cut it right. Like this is not this is zero. I want you to be happy with what you said in this interview, uh, however uh, adversarial this this may in fact be. And some of you know some of my my encounters on my podcast are, are very adversarial. Um, you know, and you know, I reserve the right to, you know, I reserve the right not to release a podcast if it goes completely haywire. But, um, you know, I, I, I make it clear that, you know, the, the, the thing I'm after is the best version of the other person's uh, beliefs. And so I, I never want to, you know, hold somebody if, if, if something can be uh, interpreted in a way that is totally uncharitable. Um, you know, I want, I want to give that person a chance to tell me what the right interpretation is. Right. So, and, and so it's what I, what I have found, which, which does seem perverse and what, what Malcolm gets at, I found that, that many journalists want to catch you saying something that can be misinterpreted. Right. right. And they want to hold you to that, you know, the most awful interpretation, even when you try to clarify right. wh what what it is, in fact, you meant. And that's a very strange game. So like and, 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 and one place where it where the 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 unethical agenda shows itself for me is this whole m monkey business around being on the record and off the record. Right. right? And the fact that you can't retroactively take something off the record, right? With me, you can always take something off the record. I mean, provided, you know, I, I haven't released it yet. Uh, it's, you know, if, if you say something for 10 minutes and then you say, you know what, actually that should be off the record, right? That's going to, that's going to create a lot of harm. You know, as far as I know, most journalists think it's fair game to say, oh, no, 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 no. You didn't say it was off the record before we started. And so right. I'm, I'm, ju I'm just going to print that, Right. And I've met many journalists like that, and and that that just seems that just seems starkly unethical. I mean, like either you you know either you want to, um, I mean, because it's just a, it's an accident that the person d didn't have the the presence of mind to censor themselves in advance. And if you if you want to have a genuinely 
searching and non-paranoid conversation with another human being, you know, give them a chance to, to, you know, say exactly what they want to say and how they want to say it. I mean, people are stupid enough to hang themselves even with the utterances that they're totally satisfied with, right? It's not, it's not like you're not going to catch the bad people or the, the real racists or anything else if, you know, by these rules, you, you will, it's just, you know, it, you're just ma- making it a little less easy for yourself. But I, I think it's, I think it's worth it. What if somebody tells you, I mean, I actually tell people almost exactly the same thing. Uh, not so much in terms of the retroactive on the record, because sometimes I'm dealing with a public figure and it may be useful, but particularly after the fact in my cutting room, I may find out that somebody told me a lie. And mm. what, what is my ethical obligation then to cover up their lie? Or do I have a, a bigger obligation to my viewer to lay out the lie and explain to people that, in fact, it was a lie and that they were um, uh, misleading me and, well, and the yeah. viewer? Well, well, that seems fair game. I and mean, if someone lies to you and you you discover that, well, then, I mean, you know, you might want to ask them about it. I mean, it would seem, I mean, again, there's, there's all the hassle of, of having to re-interview them if, if in fact that's what's, what's ethical. But, um, because, you know, it just depends how stark it was. I mean, so people can misspeak as well. Um, but if it's clear that they were lying, uh, then yeah, then you can, uh, I think you're totally within your rights to show what they said and then, then edit, editorialize, uh, and, tell, tell your viewer what in fact is true. Um, so it's, it's not that, that you can't, I mean, there's a, there's a fair amount of punishment to be meted out to people, uh, even by these super collegial rules where you're just, you're just, um, you know, you're going to get the best version of their cockamamie worldview, and then you're going to discredit it with, with what is, uh, more obviously true. Uh, but it just, I just think it's, it's, um, I mean, it's, 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 uh, there's a phrase that is current, uh, with many of us, I believe it originates with my friend, Eric Weinstein. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the right move is, is to steel man your, your opponent's position rather than straw man it. You know, I mean, you want to be able to, you know, both state if you need to state their position or if you're going to give them a chance to state their position, you want it stated in a way that they they really have signed off on before you dismantle it, right? You don't want to you know set the, set the net high enough so that when the ball goes over, you know it's a real game of tennis. Um, and um, you know so that's um, you know that I think that's the the right way to do it. Right. Well, I generally agree, and 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 certainly that in terms of the broader preamble, that's you know I tell somebody something similar. Though I I would can I would say that I don't. I don't always observe that retroactive rule, in part because sometimes I interview people who lie for a living. And, yeah. if, and if Elizabeth Holmes, for example, were to say, you know that thing I told you 10 minutes ago, I'd like you to take that out. And she may have told me a very instructive um, something that was yeah. uh, powerful evidence of her fraud. And I, I confess I would not be ethically compelled to take that out. I, I, I would feel, in fact, ethically obligated to share that with my viewers um, yeah. because, you know, she was trying to deceive me. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, then if, it, if you have a, 
a hostile witness, it's, I mean, this is kind of a different, you're, you're talking about a different document here. Um, I mean, it's just. It's tricky, though, because sometimes uh, yeah. it's not just hostile witness. You know, even if I have a hostile witness or somebody with whom I don't agree at all, you know, generally speaking, I want to try to understand their point of view. And I certainly want to get them to articulate in the best possible way what their point of view is. That is definitely an agenda of mine. But yeah. but but sometimes, particularly with public figures um, or 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 people in power, uh, very often um, they're trying to um, use a kind of web of deception to shroud their abuses of power. And 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 when that happens, I I really don't feel conflicted. Uh, yeah. If if they were to say, I want you to take that last bit out, and I say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you know, I would want to attempt a further exchange about, you know, why take it out, and you know, why not leave it in, and see what you know, see what the rationale is. But if the again, if you're suddenly in the presence of someone who's just trying to successful successfully lie, and you know, you you caught them failing, well, then you know. Uh, then it is a a um, again you're not you're 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 kind of in the world of of you know spies being caught you know I mean it's it's just uh, you know this is this is in extremis um, but it's yeah I guess it's hard because I mean you know, here you're making a documentary about a person and you know you you need the minute you know like I, like if that were a podcast for me if I you know again this is a very different business model. You know, it doesn't. It, you know, you, you have a you've raised money to to shoot a film, and you've you know you're wor- you're working with other people's money, uh, presumably. You know, for a podcast, I've just turned on a microphone. But um, you know, if I were in the presence of somebody who uh, was just lying to me, and you know, or or just wanted to, wanted me to take something out that seemed crucial for this to be an honest document, well, then I'd say, okay, well, I'm just let's cut our losses here. I'm not going to release the podcast, right? We're we're done um, because this is not not somebody who you know, is, is, is really, uh, talking to me. Uh, but I, I, I accept that you could find yourself in the, you know, uh, on the final yard of a documentary with a, with a hostile witness and, and have to, have to treat them as a, as an adversary. Uh, and, and you'd be honest to do that. Well, and sometimes I will say that, that, that sometimes people that I have affection for, or, or even, um, sympathetic to, in terms of their views, Will tell me things that that uh, I know are wrong or at odds with the truth or, or attempt to deceiving me, and 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 I guess I I would see my larger mission as trying to tell the truth and that yeah. to to edit them in ways that allow them to kind of um, sandpaper or um, uh, uh, you know um, paper, sandpaper you know the rough edges of history. Would would be wrong. Would be ethically wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't suggest that your responsibility uh, or mine is to do PR for somebody, right? So it's it's not just that you're you're only going to put favorable facts in in view. Uh, it's just that when you're when you're really on the other side of an argument with somebody, you know, I, I just think you owe it to to them and to your audience to present the the, the, the most uh, the, the strongest case 
you know, for, for this to, for the to allow view them that you're to present the strongest yeah. case. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I totally yeah. agree with that. And I think that's some professor long ago whose name I can't remember told me embrace the contradictions. And if you're not prepared to do that, then you're not really doing the job. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you do the job incredibly well because I've seen many of your films and uh, I, don't, I can't remember a time where I felt you took a cheap shot at at um, any subject who you were you know, putting in a, in a less than favorable light. I mean, they, they, they seem to have just put themselves there. But um, uh, I mean, that could be something I'm forgetting, but you, you've dealt with some some edgy topics. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I feel like <laughs> people are so eager to, um, I mean, people believe and do so many crazy things that again, that the truth and their and their most energetic effort to uh, serve their own interests is is virtually always enough to to uh, destroy their reputation when they're going you know that far that fast in that direction so that's right uh, Sam thank you very much this has been a great pleasure to talk to you it's a uh, really uh, really really fun to talk yeah yeah likewise I hope we hope we meet in person sometime love that we'd love that yeah from Luminary Media and Jigsaw Productions. Lies We Tell is produced in association with Story Mechanics. Our producers are Claire Sloan Vance, Brenna Farrell, associate producers Sophie Behrman and Tessa Kramer. Our interns are Silver Lifton and Ali Einberg. Our executive producers are Ellen Horn, Stacy Offman, Richard Perello, Joey Mara, and John Schmidt. Original score and mixing by Story Mechanics. Our composer is Darren Gray. Our sound engineers are Charles Michelet, Hannes Brown, and Violet Furton. Special thanks to Jamie Lyons, Matt Sachs, and Kenzie Wilbur. Our researcher is Camille Peterson. I'm Alex Gibney, and this is Lies We Tell. <laughs>